Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. Do you still remember the feeling when you first sold to, let's say, the big guys in Australia, Woolies and Coles? When they said that, yes, they'd give me 20 stores to try our product in. I'll never forget walking back out into Turak Road and having tears drip off the edge of my chin. It makes me, <laughs> makes me emotional even talking about it. It was the big break. In today's episode, you might know the name of my guest, food entrepreneur Carolyn Creswell. You'll most definitely know her fine food product, Carmen's Muesli, now sold in some 30 plus countries around the world, yet proudly grown, cooked and made in Australia, as the box tells us. What you may not know is that in this multi-million dollar operation, Carolyn Creswell still asks her young children to be key taste testers of any of her now 54 products across eight different ranges, including porridge, nut bars, and even protein bars. So how did 18-year-old Carolyn, some 25 years ago, buy a half share in a tiny kitchen table muesli business for just $1,000 and transform that into this impressive, solidly growing global business that she still owns and very much runs. Well, let's find out. Carolyn Creswell, thank you so much for joining me on Build It, Thou Come. Pleasure, Helen. Thanks for having me. Firstly, many Australians know what Carmen's is, but you do have quite a range of products. Tell us, what is Carmen's now? So when we started, we just had one product, which is our original muesli. And so now we have grown the family. So there's a range of mueslis and then of clusters, porridge, oats, and then we've moved into what we call nutritional snacks. So muesli bars, but nut bars, protein bars, and then have, have moved into things like bliss balls and crackers. So sort of a foray now into savoury snacking, which is very exciting. It's actually an extraordinary array of products that, uh, you know, you've been going, what, just over two decades now. So how would you categorise your success? Give us a picture of what Carmen's success is now. So I started when I was 18. I was working in, in the little business making the muesli and they said I was going to lose my job. So I bought half of it. You were working part-time as a uni student in a, what, a family, little local family muesli making business and they were going to close it down. Well, they'd got another job. Now, you need to understand how little this was. If you could imagine someone who would almost just go down to a Sunday market and sell from a card table, that was sort of yeah. the size. You know, we did have some, some outlets, but it wasn't a, a very big business at all. And they had decided that it was sort of too hard and both of the ladies that owned it decided that they didn't want to continue doing it anymore. So, Someone worked there with me, Amanya, and so we decided that we would put a little offer in. So we offered a thousand dollars each, and they had wanted ten thousand dollars. So it took many months before they accepted our offer, but no one else put one in. So oh, well, there you go. You're a businesswoman right from the beginning. <laughs> I was working at Coles behind the cash register at the time, and it wasn't like we were desperate to buy it. It was just that we were kind of just trying to keep our job. Yeah. So. We continued together for two years and so Carmen's is the first three letters of my name and the first three letters of my business partner's name. And then after two years, she said, look, I just don't really want to do this anymore and it's too hard and, you know, I was sort of 
you know, we weren't earning very much money. So at that point, I bought her share of the business out. So that's 20 sort of five-ish years ago now. And I've owned it 100% myself ever since. And how successful is it now? You know, for me, I feel success is, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to sound a bit spiritual with this, but success is being very proud of my business. It's being proud of what we do and more so being proud of how we do it. Carmen's is far bigger a business than I had ever anticipated, but it's never been about size for me. It's not It's not necessarily about the number of products that we make. For me, it's much more around that each product we make delights people every day, that they love having their little moment of Carmen's. You know, we know it's not rock and science what we do, but we're very proud of each and every one of our products. So, you know, it's just growing the family. And I look at, you know, we have now eight different sort of ranges, as I mentioned. It's extraordinary, really. And each one of those ranges, you know, I I look at and I think, is that the best it can be? And we're always constantly evolving. And I guess it's, I'm going to say it's a little bit like fashion in the fact that you never sit still and think, oh, well, that's just done. Mm. You know, it depends on what the latest food trends are. So, for example, I've been through when when I started, everyone was into 99% fat-free. So, as long as we took coconut out of everything and didn't matter how much sugar was in anything, all they were concerned about was fat. Oh, really? And now we've moved through some different trends and certainly through carbs and, and, and you know, much more so the, the latest trend is around low sugar. Yeah. So we adjust our products and we see, can we reduce the sugar anymore? And uh, we put call-outs on the front, less than four grams or three grams of sugar, whichever product it might be. So it's constantly evolving and looking at each family individually. I call them my babies. <laughs> and, and then and then looking at the entirety of what we do and the brand and, and what we stand for and, you know, the, the bigger Carmen's picture and, and I guess, you know, where we're heading and what we're trying to do. So it's always complex. I spend a lot of time on the product development myself, so diving into the development of what the new things are and then you pull yourself out and say, well, hang on, as a business, you know, are we making sure that we're giving back as much as we can and we're training our staff, you know, as well and we've thought about their well-being. And so there's there's so many complexities <laughs> of running a business and that's something I guess I'm learning along my journey. Yeah. So, Carolyn, the recipe, say, for your original muesli, which I know has various iterations now on the supermarket and the shop shelves, but did you add and subtract to that all along the way or has the guts of it been in the original recipe as you bought the business? Yeah, so the guts of it is the original recipe. So we started with one product and I think there's about 53 in the family now. So it's just the the constant evolution. Look, sometimes we bring out something and it, and it doesn't work, but we have a very unusually high success rate of launching products and, them and finding their niche and surviving. So that's something that I'm very proud of. So can you, you get all the raw materials you need here in Australia? Most things you can. So, for example, the the core of our range is made with oats and, and that's all Australian. Our climate doesn't lend itself to some of the ingredients. So, for example, some of it might be apricots or it might be sometimes pepitas, so some of the seeds. So, you, you do have to work with what's the best product from the best country and it's probably, and it's taken me a long time to realise this, it's probably a, a false economy to try and make things in Australia that our climate doesn't support. Mm-hmm. So, for example, dates is another thing that, that we would import. You know, it depends on in our product development what the new trends or what people are looking for 
and then how that can either be put in existing Carmen's products or in our, in our development of what we're going to bring out in the future. Are all your products manufactured? For want of a better word, I guess, do you call it manufacturing? Are they all manufactured? Are they all put together, mixed up together here and packaged here? Yes. So all our products are made in Melbourne. It's just like you would make something in your kitchen at home. And the essence is that you're just making it in a much bigger batch quantity. Yes. So, you know, really it's it's the same concept of ovens that you would have at home and people are often quite amazed when they see how it comes out of it, you know, of a commercial kitchen. It's just making a lot more and trying to maximise how much you can make in a day. Yeah. So when you started this business, was it always the big vision? You said at the very beginning, you thought, oh, well, I just want, I still want a job. So, you know, I'll try and scrimp and save the thousand dollars and, and buy the company. But did it very quickly become a really big vision or was it always just, oh, look, if I actually could get onto Coles or Woolies shelves, I'd really be made? I think for me, I was 18 years old. You know, I never would have dreamed it would have been as big as it is today, but that's never, it's always been about what can I do with my current resources? What could I do this year? And maybe, you know, what could I dream that it might look like in two or three years? So I'm going to say every probably five years, I would hope to look back and think, wow, I, I, I can't believe how much we've grown and how much better we've got at what we do. I don't have any business degree in this. I'm just a home cook that has tried to bring out products that I think my family would like to eat and that I think taste good and that are made like you would in your kitchen at home. So I guess I've always just tried to bring street smarts to decisions and also thinking that you know a lot of supermarket products and not as much now, but certainly were designed to look good on a TV ad or mm. on a billboard, but weren't necessarily made from saying, hang on, this is the few ingredients that you could possibly put in that this is actually made, you know, for us, we don't really do any mainstream advertising. We put all of that back into ingredients. So, you know, everyone can choose what ingredients you put in. And I've always just tried to keep a simple business like I would make at home, which is sort of, it seems to be so simple, but, uh, you know, apparently that's unusual. Yeah. So have you always been obsessed with cooking? I mean, as a kid, did you love it? Was your mother a great cook? It probably came more to me, I think, when I started in the business, I certainly wasn't the museologist. I was probably more interested in the business side. And now I've, you know, I've now got four kids and married and much more driven by giving them great food. And, and you know, um, food is kind of the, the passion of, of mine. Yeah. So was your family in business? Did you come from, you know, a bunch of entrepreneurs? I mean, look, my mum ran the school canteen for the local state school where I where I went to school and my grandfather made caravans at his house and, and sold them to people. So I was used to people sort of earning their own money and working for themselves, but it was probably more, and I look at, you know, how I can instill this in my kids, that I was always brought up saying, well, there's nothing you can't do. Just give that a go. And I still remember being really nervous about waiting to ask mum and dad to say, hey, um, you know, wanted to put in an offer to buy this little muesli business, thinking that they'd say, oh, that's a silly idea mm. and you're going to university and you need to, you know, focus on getting a proper career. But they were so supportive. So I'm very grateful that, you know, they had an attitude that you can do whatever you want and give it a go and what's the worst that's going to happen. And, yeah. You know, I don't take that for granted because not everyone is brought up thinking that the world's their oyster. And I think in Australia particularly we hopefully had this 
environment where you can give something a crack and it's okay if it doesn't work out. And that was the feeling, I guess, that I had. Yeah. Did you ever finish your university degree? I did. Oh, good so, on um, you. I have a degree, an arts degree from Monash University in politics and sociology. Oh, well, that would have helped you a lot. Nothing at all to do with making muesli. <laughs> but I, I chose those two courses because you could do essays rather than have to sit an exam. Oh. <laughs> I'd started owning Carmen's then, so I wanted to be able to sort of work when I wanted to work and I was nervous about the exam. So that, that's literally why I chose those subjects, which is a really bad idea. <laughs> In the beginning, what was your funding source back then? Did you borrow from the bank? I presume as an 18-year-old you didn't, but did you become a, a borrower from the bank? Did you borrow from parents? No. So my business partner was able to get us a $4,000 overdraft and we ran that to the ground, you know, every day. You know, we were racing to the bank to put the checks in and it was very, very tough for the first, I'm going to say, five years. I remember getting my brother to siphon petrol out of my mum's car when she wasn't looking to try and give me enough petrol to do the deliveries the next day and probably took until we got our first listing at Coles to eventually, I remember the check, 1000 $79. Um, and I had the, the check butt framed in our office at work. And that was a huge amount of money. And that was probably the start of being able to think, okay, I can pay our bills. And yeah, we've always just been self-funded, whatever we've made, you know, we've put back into the business. I think that's probably made us make smart decisions. So we've never gone out, you know, borrowed money to do some expensive marketing campaign and then thought, oh my gosh, how do we pay that back? And that's the one thing I, I definitely learned was I loved to be able to not worry about money. I didn't want to wake up at three in the morning and think, how do I pay the salaries? Mm. What am I going to do? And, and I lived broke for so many years in the, in the start. It was so, it is soul destroying being broken and worrying that the amount of time you worry about who do you pay and you really test your integrity as a person. So I've always just now tried to live within our means and I love the fact that we can pay our bills and, and a lot of people, you know, we're known for that. You know, we might be super tough with our quality and, you know, I say we're a little bit of a pain in the ass of our high expectations, but, you know, people know what they get when they, they interact and they do business with Carmen's that, you know, we pay people quickly and, and it's very clear our expectations and I think we're reasonably open and, and have a, a pretty good reputation out there for how we operate. In that beginning, you said it's essentially been cash flow funded. Yes. Your own cash flow has gone back into the business, but you also said it was really tough, you know, who do I pay and how. How difficult was it in those early years to get the money rolling in? Oh, shocking. So I still remember one day I had to get a delivery of almonds and I couldn't afford to pay for them, but I really needed them because oh. I needed to make the newsly to deliver it to get money. Yeah you know, to pay the bills. And so I decided, you know, in those days we paid everyone by check. You know, we didn't have computers or the internet or anything then. So that delivery was coming. And I, I thought, well, what I, you know, like, like I said, you know, it tests your integrity. And, and I was just going to give a check to the driver and not sign it. And then I thought by the time they get back to Brunswick, which, you know, half an hour across town, and they'll realize that night the check wasn't signed. Oh, no. Then they'll come back tomorrow and because I could afford to pay them the next day. Yeah, right. And I was sharing a little factory, like a little bakery. Which I shared it with another a guy called Paul Finkelstein from Uncle Charlie's. And he said to me, Carolyn, just put a post-it note and say, would you mind holding this check to tomorrow? He said, they'll be so much more mm. thankful for your honesty 
rather than they'll be really grumpy if they realize they've got to drive back across town tomorrow to get this check signed. So I nervously I rang them and said, would you mind? They said, no problem at all. So sometimes I was having to do things like that. And, you know, it's also free labor. You know, I was getting my mom and my dad and my boyfriend, who's now my husband, we were running around doing deliveries and you know, doing what we could to, to try and get it established. So as corny as it is to say, I wouldn't change any of that because that set me up for kind of a probably a good financial attitude now. And so even though something's painful, you have to, I think, try and see what that lesson is and accept that pain and say, well, hang on, that's actually helped me in the bigger picture. Yeah. So you're not a food technologist. You weren't a cook or a chef, not trained in those sorts of areas. How did you do your R&D in the first few years? I bought a business that had one product, which is our original muesli now. The first bit was we put some sultanas and some raisins and some apricots in it. So, you know, you thought, well, what would I do to this product? And then over time, you know, I kind of got more sophisticated in trying to just think, well, would people enjoy this? I always start with like a, a plain white plate or a bowl and say, is this actually tasty? Because there's no point us bringing out anything. doesn't matter how healthy it is. You know, we've, we've been working on this low sugar granola this week. And, you know, you know that it's going to have, you know, five health stars and be super good for you. However, they still have to enjoy eating it. Mm. I mean, it's really important that you enjoy food and people will buy something that tastes like bird seed once, but they won't come back week after week. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the bit, you know, we go through rounds and rounds and rounds of samples to try and say, what have, have we got? And sometimes it'll just be some extra spices or, you know, things that you say, well, okay, now that, and I always I have another policy, which is we almost need to go one step too far. We need to put a bit too much of something in to go, okay, no, no, we've, we've put too much cinnamon now, dial that back. So then, you know, okay, well, this is just, just right. And this is the best tasting it can be. And then just being really kind of particular that each time when we do a batch that it's delivering to what it was always meant to deliver to. You can't get sloppy and have one burnt batch and one undercooked batch and, yeah. and just go, oh, send it out. So you have to leave, I call it, with healthy paranoia about is everything, you know, as good as we can be today and then wake up tomorrow and say, oh, we're as good as we can be today. So essentially, did you give a lot of your products and, and these trial and errors to your co-workers, to your family, to your friends to try Yes, and I still do. <laughs> oh, you still do? I just sent a text message to my nine-year-old daughter and said, I need to know, do you, do you prefer it with the drizzle on this muesli <laughs> bar or without the drizzle? We need to have a discussion after school today. I still sit down, whether it's with friends and family, and we, you know, we now do it in a much more sophisticated way where we send out you know, samples. And you know, that's really important. It's not just my opinion. You know, it's how... <laughs> have gut instinct, how you can ask other people's opinions, how you can look at international food trends, how you can look at what the market's wanting, how you look at what categories are growing. You know, people are buying more and more snacks these days than they ever have. Mm. So, uh, you know, how do we move into categories that are that are more exciting and there's more consumers shopping in those? And so there's a lot of different complexities to, to what we do these days. We have a, a wonderful innovation team at Carmen's. It's certainly not just me, but we, we try and lead. We, we aren't about following anyone else and, and we have a deep sense of who we are and what we stand for. And what is that? So it's, it's really about saying that we, we want to make food 
that's good for you, but that you're going to enjoy that tastes good. And so at the essence, we're a food company that's, you know, trying to put a little bit of delight in your day. You've eaten something and you thought that was yum, but I don't feel bad about it. So we're not a hardcore health food company that says, oh my gosh, everything we make is low sugar, low fat. Yeah. Mung beans and whatever. Da, da, da. But we hope that when you have a choice, when you go to the petrol station of picking up one of our nut bars versus a Kit Kat, that you would say, oh, I'll grab the Carmen's nut bar. You know, we all look back on everything we've eaten for a day and, you know, people normally start off very healthily and, you know, you eat very well for breakfast and then things might go down a little downhill by lunch and then mid-afternoon things, you know, you can head to the muffins and it can end up a free-for-all pizza fest at night with lots of red wine and <laughs> you think, oh, gosh, I don't want that to happen again tomorrow. So, you know, when, when you look at the day, we hope that people look back and think, you know, I'm, I'm happy with that little Carmen's moment that I had. Did you ever sit down and do like a proper business plan? Did you ever consult an accountant, a lawyer, a management consultant to think, how do I actually go about scaling up or growing this business? So, no, I never did that. And I'm not trying to say that that's not important. I was not sophisticated enough to know how to do that. But I would take a notebook and I'd write down, what do I need to do now? What are all the jobs? So, it might be to set up a website or to fix the twine on that product or the packaging here. So, I'd write a list and sometimes it might be 30, 40 things. So, I'd write all of these things down and then I would slowly try and plug away on my to-do list and I'd sort of put numbers next to things that this is more important and this is less important. And it's probably not dissimilar, like we run a quite a sophisticated strategic process now, but it's still trying to say, what are the things we call them innovations. What are the new things that we should do that we're not doing now? And then we have something else called excellence, which is what are we doing now, but we could have a better system. And the other thing that we have a focus on is technology. So now we also say that um, through the business, is there anything where we could harness technology more than we've been previously doing? So that might be on forecasting, knowing how much we've got to make or something. So I've always been quite interested in saying, you know, if there is new technology that's come out, what could we do to try and maximise our benefit from that? I'd highly recommend a book from Cyril Peplione. He's a Sydney marketing sort of strategy guy and it's called Work Smarter, Live Better. And he really teaches you how to structure your weeks, how to really maximise being able to work on those projects and work on, he calls them big rocks, the more complicated, bigger things that you need to get achieved. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of his work. Carolyn, was it nonetheless still a huge leap to, as an 18-year-old, buy a business, albeit a small one, and think, oh, I'm now responsible for this and for paying myself, let alone others that I might take on the journey with me? You know, I look back and I say, you know, that is over 25 years ago now, and that was just a very small, young startup. Probably when I had my kids, the growth of Carmen's really happened because before that, I thought I could probably do everything myself and I'd save the money, you know, and what I realized is that that probably meant a lot of the time I was just working in my business, not getting to other things. And once, you know, I literally probably hired my first staff member, like to work in the office and work on sort of projects and things. It was only maybe six months before my son was born and he's about to turn 16. So, you know, the first kind of 10 years of the business, I was 
predominantly doing it all by myself, all the office stuff. Wow. I think it's more interesting in the last probably 15 years, and that's when we've got much more sophisticated in the way we're viewing the entirety of the business, the market, product development. And I think now we're a pretty well-respected business now, and I think that's the culmination of how we've operated probably over the last, say, 10 years as opposed to the first 10. What was the one or two things that you did that really changed the game for Carmen's and really jump-started it into a major business? I think that in the start, I used to say yes to everything. And whether that was almost in my personal life, in my business life. So, you know, you got invited to something, let's go to this networking event. Yes, I better go. You know, I remember in the business, like uh, David Jones wanted us to make a muesli that had chocolate chips and pineapple chunks. And I sort of knew that it wasn't going to be a success. Like I said, most people want to start the day as healthy as possible. They don't necessarily want chocolate chips through their muesli. So, once I kind of had enough sense of hearing what my gut was telling me, that was probably really the game changer, knowing what to say no to. And I talk a bit, you know, I do some um, public speaking and I talk about the graceful no, because really the difference, we all have the same number of hours in the day and it's choosing what you say yes to and what you say no to. Because whatever you say yes to means you're inadvertently saying no to something else. Mm. So, for example, I don't do coffees. I don't meet people for coffee. And the amount of emails I get of people saying, can I just come in and have a coffee or could my daughter's flatmate come and have a coffee she's interested in in getting into your industry? And I say, look, I'm really sorry. So, this is the kind of policy of the graceful no. I don't meet for coffee. But what I could do is I could ring her a quarter to nine any morning when I'm driving to the office. Mm. I'm like, okay. And so, it's basically going back quickly. I can't do that. I'm really sorry, but I can do this. So, back to what changed the game for Carmen's though, is it that ability to trust yourself and think, no, we can't do that, but let's try this? Or what really catapulted it, I suppose, into moving away from a, a mum and dad business or two young students business to something that, you know, works with the supermarkets and is sold elsewhere around the world? So, I think that deep sense of knowing, as I said before, who you are. You know, people say at Carmen's, we think, you know, people would sometimes say, oh, look, you know, I can't afford Carmen's. And I'll say, well, you know, a couple of things. Firstly, what other meal are you going to have during the day that's going to cost you less than a dollar? Because, you know, your dinner's never going to cost that. Or like uni students often have clued onto this and they have muesli for dinner. But if we just tried to make it that we were the 75 cent bowl rather than say the dollar bowl and we just did what other people did and we just put some cinnamon on some oats, then we're just the same as everyone else. So it's not about just being the same as everyone else because there's no point you existing. Mm. It's knowing what your niche, knowing what you stand for. So pretty much everyone knows Carmen's has more expensive and ingredients in it and, you know, we're, we're a more of a premium player. That's what we bring mm. to the table and we, we don't make apologies for that. We don't try and be everything. You can't be everything and I think be a success. Know your niche, know what you stand for, stick to it and and do it as well as you possibly can. That's probably what I struggled with at the start and that's what I've learned more in my business life and also you know, probably more, like I said, you know, what you say yes and no to also in, in my personal life. Do you still remember the feeling when you first sold to, let's say, the big guys in Australia, Woolies and Coles? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I still remember I went into Coles and I did my presentation and 
I'd um, ironed this bag of my mum's. You know, my mum kept all her good paper bags and I found this plain brown one and I'd ironed it with starch the night before and I'd made my perfect samples and I got up there about two hours before my appointment because I was so excited and nervous and did about five nervous wheeze waiting for them to eventually call me in. And, and then eventually when, um, when they said that, yes, they'd give me 20 stores to try a product in, I'll never forget walking back out into Turak Road and having tears drip off the edge of my chin. That makes me, <laughs> makes me emotional even talking about it. It was the big break. It was the opportunity and it, it was like my dream come true. And I still feel so excited when we have a, a new product listed and that I'm so lucky that I, I still am as passionate as I am today. And if I see someone, my kids get so embarrassed. If I see someone in a supermarket with a Carmen's product in their trolley, I will always go up and introduce myself and thank them <laughs> for their support and talk to them. And my kids go and hide behind the toilet paper or whatever. But um, I feel like, you know, we, we are very fortunate to have had the success we have, but I've never forgotten that it's people going out there mm. with their $5 and, and buying it. You know, it wouldn't happen if people didn't want to buy what we did. And the most important person is our customer because if they don't like what we're doing, very quickly, we won't have a business. And so I always say that the, the only stakeholder we have is our customer. And that's the voice I try and bring into every decision that I ever make, product, packaging, brand, you know, what would the customer want? Because if I'm only thinking about them, then that means the success will come. Have you ever lost your spot with Woolies or Coles or IGA? Yeah, so I have, you know, one point I had everything deleted, the whole Carmen's range, which was the worst moment of my career. Why did they do that? You have to sell in those, you know, it's still probably a little bit the same, but the expectation is you sell sort of six packets per store per week. So basically they want every product in the supermarket to sell basically kind of one one packet of it a day. And that's actually really, really hard to do. <laughs> Sounds easy, but it's not. And we just weren't doing the rate of sales. We'd only been in for a short amount of time. And, and I got a phone call saying that it's all being deleted. And I was beside myself. You can ask my husband. He didn't know what to do, <laughs> to do with me. And then I quickly, and in fact, you know, I was just talking to my team about this. You have a choice to live in that grief and that anger and that kind of depression, I guess I'm going to say, that this has happened. Or you, you have to move into it is what it is. Okay, that's now happened. So I've got to move to the next phase. What can I do now that that's happened? What can I do? And so I realized that I needed to make sure that we got to that rate of sales very quickly. I needed to make sure that our range was going to be as commercially successful as possible and that, you know, we didn't have the luxury, didn't, the buyer didn't care what it tasted like. They just cared if it was going to sell. And so that's what you were needing to prove. So it's kind of playing that long game. And did you prove that? Yeah, so obviously we're, we've got a, you know, a big range now in all the supermarkets. So we got back in and it took about 18 months to get back in. But, you know, it was a very good business lesson because, you know, to be able to get yourself to that next phase of saying, all right, now roll your sleeves up. What are we going to do about this now? And sometimes people can live just in that grief stage, I think, too long. When you were growing up, did you see yourself as an entrepreneur or in business? You said, you know, your mum had the, the tuck shop business and, and ran that. So you saw business happening, but did you have a burning ambition to start your own business? Not at all. And, you know, in my day, the smart girls did law. 
And, you know, I'm very lucky that I wasn't quite smart enough and I didn't get into law. And so this was kind of the, the backup. It was very embarrassing when I started because no one ate muesli. And, you know, you go to a party and you'd say, you know, that you, that you made muesli for a living. And literally people would almost like spit their drink out laughing because it was a, a very random niche product. You know, muesli's become mm. much more sort of trendy now. Than, than it certainly was then. And it was never, like I said, it was never about the business. I didn't know that. And it's interesting to think if it had been a different business that I had been exposed to, what would have happened? What I think for me is that I was a hard worker. You know, I, I'd worked so many jobs by the time that I was 18 from, you know, I said, the checkout to working in video stores when we used to go to video stores to mm. babysitting and waitressing. And, and then I learned quickly how to treat people and that's the one thing business is about. It's about people. You know, it's about your customers. It's about people that you work with. And if you, um, you know, you have one reputation, I think, in life, and it's really important to protect it and to think, don't do the wrong thing there because you never know in 10 years' time when someone, you'll cross their path and they'll say, oh, I remember you from this. And so mm. you really need to be very mindful of your reputation, your integrity. And I think, yeah, that's certainly something I've learned along the way. So can you pinpoint where that perhaps risk-taking, that backing yourself initiative came from? You know, it's funny. We always go back to how did this kind of come to be. I don't know how it came to be. I think there was an opportunity and that I was able to take it. I was a hard worker and as time, you know, went on and I'd, I'd worked for a few years that luckily that this was able to be the success it has been, I think it's it's far more important in life to be proud of who you are and how you do what you do and to take pleasure out of what you wake up and do every day. Mm. And people so often have this thing about, you know, Carmen's and I, I think it's not how big Carmen's is. It's my pride of saying I feel like every day okay, I've done a good job and I'm good at what I do, that sense of feeling. that. Now, you can feel that by, you know, being a stay-at-home mum, I still remember one of my favourite stories, and I talk about it often, was the guy that collected the shopping trolleys from Coles and Elstonwick. And they wrote an article just in the local paper that he was the happiest person in his job. And I knew him and I've seen him many times and he would rush out when he saw a mum arriving in the car park and he'd rush a trolley to her and he'd quickly have a chat and kept those trolleys immaculate. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter what your job is that you do every day. It matters that you're proud of how you do it and that you you know, have a spring in your step to think I've made a difference to someone's life, my small way of bringing their trolley to them or making their muesli bar. So like some of the wealthiest people I know are 100% some of the most unhappy people. And, you know, I think for me what I've really learned is about a deep sense of feeling proud of who you are and the life that you're living. Carolyn, China was a big focus for you. You you prepared a lot before you went in there to sell your product. Where is that? at now? Yeah, so we have just exited China recently. We put a lot, and I personally put a lot of energy into our success there, and we had a lot of listings and we're in all the beautiful supermarket chains over there. But what we found was that the cost of marketing, so you could get your product on the shelf, but to get people to go in and buy it, I was saying before, to, to go in and take their 5 or $6 and, and actually um, go through the cash registers and over there, there's a couple of different things. One, a lot of people eat out, much more so than in Australia. The westernization of their you know, muesli and muesli pass aren't that well known. 
and sometimes helpers are doing the shopping rather than the consumer themselves. So we could get, they have these things called key opinion leaders, so KOLs. And so we could get a, a celebrity to endorse us and then everyone would buy us for that period, that week. But then they didn't come back week after week. And so after a period of time, you also have to know when you say, do you know what, I've done enough money here and this is as much as I'm prepared to do. And then at a similar time, COVID-19 happened. But, you know, I'm not going to say we're, we're out of there forever or at all because we're, we're negotiating with another company at the moment. But certainly the, the size and the push and the energy, you know, our whole business, everyone at Carmen's was working on you know, Carmen's in China. And, you know, maybe we need to have a different partner over there that's probably more able to help with the marketing. But it was a fun, amazing experience. And it all just um, sets you up for the next time that you give it a crack. Yeah. So did you lose a lot of money and what did you learn from that experience briefly? Yes. Yeah, so there was a, a large investment that I was prepared to put up. Um, I guess what I learned was that, you know, it's what I've always known. If people aren't going to buy you week in, week out, if you don't get the repeat sales, you can't have a viable business mm. that's only relying on marketing. I needed to sell on a week where we don't have a celebrity endorsing us because you can't afford to do that every week. And a lot of businesses don't think like that. They can say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. We can just keep buying the sales. And for me, I, I like I said, you now I still own it 100% myself. It's still, I kind of think about it as like money that's literally coming out of my own wallet. And I just got to a point where I said, you know what, we've enough enough and our distributor was exiting the market too. So it, it came together at once. Yeah. But yeah, amazing amazing experience. So your focus is really Australia now? Oh, no, we still export to lots of countries and we'll certainly still be exporting to China. So, yeah, we, we export to 32 countries. Obviously, Australia is our biggest market. Yeah, and what sort of percentage growth are you doing year on year? Well, I always try and want it to be double digit. That's my aim and always has been, so at least 10% and above. But obviously, some years, depending on how many product launches we have, can be bigger than, than other years, but that's my goal. It always has been. I'm asking all my guests this, and it can just be sort of one phrase or one short sentence. What's your life motto, if you have one? Success is liking yourself, liking what you do and liking how you do it. And I think it's important, you know, I don't run a popularity contest at Carmen's and I have to make some very tough decisions, but I feel very proud of how I run the business and I feel proud of how I um, have got to this point in my life, you know, as a mother and a wife and friend and daughter and, and I feel you need to be proud of how you do it. That's a Maya Angelou quote. Have you done all those things well all the time? No, certainly not. You know, this all comes with maturity and, and you know, learning yourself about who you are and this happens over a lifetime of thinking about life and the decisions you've made and, you know, I certainly felt very challenged in the start of the business and that's hopefully set me up now for how I operate and, and think about life today. Carolyn Creswell, co-founder of Carmen's. It's been a delight speaking to you. Thank you so much for joining me on Build It, They'll Come. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed Build It, They'll Come. Let me know via Twitter at Helen underscore Daly. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know. Share it around your networks and I'd love you to give it a star rating to make it easier for others to find us. Be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turned their light bulb idea into an empire.